Good morning. How y'all doing? I am so excited to be here this morning. I, I am. I am absolutely stoked to be here this morning. Um, as some of you know, that was for Jonathan Shane. Um, he really wanted me to say that this morning to you. But I, I am. I, I am so happy to be here with you this morning. I really am. Um, I'm really thankful to be here. And so welcome to White Plains Baptist Church today. Uh, welcome to the football boys and families that have shown up today. Welcome to our church. My name is Cooper Guy. I'm the student ministry director here at White Plains. Um, and if you're new to us, I just want to tell you, you're special. And you're also an answered prayer. We've been praying for you. Uh, we were so excited that you're here today. Um, as our guest, I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. Thank you for being our guest today. Um, and then, I just got to take a moment before we dismiss our kids' church to be encouraged by that baptism that we just saw. That's Riley. Uh, Riley's been here for a while. Me and Riley got to have a conversation, and he was like, hey, I need to be baptized. And so, you know, a few weeks went by, and and Riley's getting baptized, and it's just wonderful to see how the Lord's working in the hearts of students. He's in the high, uh, Allen County High School over here, and it's just so motivating to see this generation coming to the Father, taking steps of courage to be baptized, of obedience towards Jesus. It's amazing. And I, so I just, I hope that motivated you, because it motivated me. You know, I, it, was, it was wonderful to see Riley, and I'm so excited to see where he goes and where he continues to go. Well, kids, it's always great to have you here today with us. It's wonderful that you would come to church and spend a Sunday with us this morning. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids to Kids Church. Um, if you have kids in Kids Church, you can pick them up right after service, just through these doors, right over here to my left and your right. So we are continuing our series today in the letter of 1 Timothy, Gospel-Centered Godliness. Being the church and the community, we will be in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 20 this morning. Read with me this, this passage that we're going to go through this morning, then let's pray. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full of acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, by the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, by rejecting the some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, and thank you for just the love that you have for us, and the love that you have for this community. Father, thank you for letting us serve some middle school football players, Father. And thank you just that, that kids are getting saved, and students are getting saved and baptized, Father. And thank you that as a church, Father, we're able to be a part of that. 
were able to be a part of your work, Father. Father, I just ask that there would be a hand over every person in this building today. That if they need to get something right with you, Father, if they need to take a step of obedience today, Father, that you would give them the courage to do so. And that if they need to have a conversation about salvation, Father, that they wouldn't put it off, but they would do it, Father. Father, that they would have the courage to seek you out and they would humble themselves to be obedient to you and your will, Father. Father, I lift up every name and every person in this room, Father. Father, we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before we keep going into what we had just read, I want us to have a little bit of the context of what's going on. And so, if you would turn with me to the first four chapters. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God, that is, by faith. So Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. Uh, Paul was around Timothy for a lot of Timothy's spiritual journey, and then Paul was with Timothy in Ephesus and leaves for Macedonia and tells uh, Timothy to stay. Um, we notice how Paul states, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Paul only states mercy when he writes to pastors like Timothy or Titus. And that's important because when the pastor does something you don't like or the pastor makes you mad, Remember that Paul said, give them extra mercy. They're deserving of extra mercy. And so today, this morning, as your student ministry director, um, if this is no good and you learn absolutely nothing, um, give me extra mercy today, as Paul has asked you to do. Um, so that's, that's my uh, plea for you. I'm joking, of course, but not really at all. And so, but that, that's, that's what I want you to do this morning. So... I have on my notes here, ha-ha, and I thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> now remember, Timothy was not just a pastor of one church. Like when we think of a pastor, we think of a pastor of one church. But Timothy was leading Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was an integral part of the economy at this point. There was a lot of money coming in and out of there. Um, and with Christianity, there was a lot of believers coming into Ephesus. Uh, it depends on who you read, but there was a few thousand believers in Ephesus at the time. And so with that coming, with the you know, thousands of believers, there's also going to be a lot of false teachers. Um, more believers, more false teachers. And then also remember that because Timothy wasn't leading in one building, um, because Christians were meeting in homes mostly, that Timothy had a lot going on. Okay? Remember that the Christian leaders were meeting in homes. They weren't all in one place. And so Timothy had a lot going on. He had the he had to lead the believers in Ephesus. He had to lead his spiritual you know, leaders and teachers. Um, and he also had to combat the uh, false teachers. So he had a lot going on. And so your first slide is this. Paul charges Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Paul encourages Timothy to stay in Ephesus due to the growing number of false teachers. And then also what this passage will show us is that Timothy probably wanted to leave. We don't know why. 
uh, but it could be because of the false teachers or the ordinary issues that arise in ministry. Paul says no and tells Timothy to stay. Thinking of this from Timothy's point of view, Paul calls him his son in the faith. And what that is right there, his son in the faith, is a motivator for Timothy. I have a mentor in my life that was a student pastor for me uh, while I was in high school. And me and him talk quite often. And I love this man, I love this mentor in my life to death. But a lot of times when we'll talk, he'll say, Cooper, I'm very fatherly to you. You know, he'll talk about Paul, and he's like, I'm kind of like your father in the faith. And I think he's telling the truth, I think. But what I know he's doing is motivating me. Because if I can be anything like my spiritual father, then I'm doing a pretty good job, right? And so Paul encourages Timothy um, to stay and then calls him his son in the faith or child in the faith, which is a motivator. Um, and then, but Timothy probably wants to be with Paul because he is, or because Paul is Timothy's mentor. Timothy probably wants to be with him, or he wants to do what he's doing, or he wants to go out and share the gospel and plant churches the same way that Paul is going out and sharing the gospel and planting churches. So Timothy may have a lot that he wants to do, all for the Lord. It's good stuff. Is it wrong that he wants to leave? No. But it's not his time to leave yet. It's not Timothy's moment to leave yet. And then I started thinking about this for like an application for us, is how many times do we want to leave? How many times does work get hard, or life get hard, or the marriage get hard, or school get hard, or football gets hard, and all we want to do is leave, and then we go to the Father and He says, stay. And we think, Lord, I don't see any good with me staying. But He says, stay. And I want to encourage you, because if God says to stay when you want to leave, you're getting ready to experience something amazing. God's going to move. God's going to use you to be a shoulder to cry on. Maybe somebody at your workplace is going to be touched because of your faith in God. So be encouraged when God says to stay. Don't be discouraged when He says stay, when all you want to do is leave. You should be encouraged, because if He wants you to stay, then He has a purpose for you to stay. He's not going to make you stay for no reason. He has a purpose for you. And then also trust in God's plan, because His plan is going to be the best plan. Um, but as we walk through this passage, the rest of this passage, we're going to see Paul continue to encourage Timothy to stay in Ephesus. This is going to be a common theme, and I want to point those out to you. So let's dive into our text for today. Um, verses 12 through 14, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Your next slide is God's mercy overflows our sin. Now I'm going to get a drink of water. That's a lot better. Okay. Paul, as he calls himself, was a man of unbelief and ignorance. He was a persecutor and insolent opponent. Paul killed Christians and was responsible for the killing and imprisoning of God's children. Paul slaughtered these people on the fact of unbelief, on his own unbelief. So the next slide is unbelief causes a multitude 
of sins, the mere fact that Paul did not believe gave him confidence in his actions. The mere fact that Paul did not believe in Jesus Christ gave him so much confidence in what he was doing to persecute Christians. Where there's no belief in God, sin abides. And another way of saying this is sinners going to sin. And I heard that from a deacon a long time ago. Sinners going to sin. And I just love that. But those who just simply believe in Jesus should have less sin in their lives. And this is all very simple stuff. And I know that you know this. But at the part that I think that we miss is when we look around at the world today and we think, why is the world getting worse and worse? And why, is, why, why are my grandkids and my, my kids having to learn more about feelings than about facts and more about sinfulness than about godliness? And it's because of sin. It's, it's about sin. People are doing what they want with confidence in this world because they don't submit to a God. The world is going to continue to get worse because of sin. And so I don't want you to be surprised when we think about the way the world is headed. Because if you read your Bible, you ought to say, that's exactly where we're going. It shouldn't surprise you. But it should encourage you that with Christ we have a hope in this life. That this life is not over. And that this life still has meaning. And this life does not end with just uh, with the sinfulness of the world. Um, but, well, now I've got to find my place. I went off on a little tangent there. Uh, people do what they want with confidence because there is no God to them except the God they see in the mirror. You see, everybody has a God in their life. And whether that be us submitting to Jesus, you know, that's, that's my God, the one that I serve faithfully. But a lot of people in this world serve only themselves, and so the God is their mirror, the one that they see in the mirror. But God had a plan for Paul. Let's move on. But God, God had a plan for Paul, so much so that God would not only bring him into belief, but God would completely change Paul. God would change his name from Saul to Paul and give him a new nature. How amazing is it that we serve a God that gives us a new name and a new nature, a new everything because of His great mercy. He takes us from the person of unbelief, of ignorance, a persecutor and an opponent to a loving and kind man or woman with a life of purpose. And I'm not talking about momentary purpose. I'm talking about eternal purpose. You see, when we talk about purpose in the Christian sense, it's purpose that has a meaning for eternity. You get to share the gospel with somebody and have purpose in their life for eternity. If you get to be a part of someone coming to know Jesus, then you were able to be a part of their story for eternity. I'm not talking about a purpose that just lasts here on earth, but one that's going to go past time and space and everything that we can think about. That's the purpose that God grants us. And He does it all through His love and His mercy. We are completely changed, and it's not because of us or because of the things we've done but because of God and what Christ has done for us. We can be completely changed through Jesus. Your next slide is, we can be completely changed through God. There's another thing I want you to see in these first few verses, that Paul's past did not disqualify him from the ministry. But more importantly, Paul's past did not disqualify him from eternity. 
from Jesus Christ's salvation and His mercy. We should never feel that our past or our sins make us unusable by God. God will guide you and make you a brand new person, and sin can disqualify you from that eternity. Paul gives Timothy another reason to stay in Ephesus. Maybe Timothy thought he was unworthy or incapable of the ministry in Ephesus, but Paul reminds him that God uses unworthy and incapable people because Paul himself was unworthy to carry out the journey of Jesus or the, the gospel of Christ. But that's who God uses, and I want to encourage you too because if you look back at your gospels, God's going to continue to use fishermen and tax collectors and sinners and he, well, he used them to bring us this book that I'm reading from today. And so it ought to encourage you because there's nothing you can do and there's nothing in your past that can disqualify you from eternity. Paul did not save himself. Rather, it was God's grace that overflowed him with faith and love that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Go with me to... Um, verses 15 and 17. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 15, Paul tells us the truth that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and tells us that the requirement for being a child of God and being redeemed by Jesus Christ is you've got to be a sinner. Isn't that amazing? Because we all meet the requirement for the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. We all meet the requirement to be a child of God in a fallen world. Oh, hold on, I lost my spot again. Okay, here we go. Paul goes on to say that he is a sinner, but not just a sinner, a sinner among sinners. The foremost sinner, Paul believes this and is not trying to be humble or show false humility. He truly felt that he was more accountable to God than any other. And I have a few quotes, 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 quotes that I want you to hear because I love them so much, I guess. I don't know, but they're in here and we're going to read them. And so the first one comes from David Guzek. And if you don't know who that is, he's awesome. Paul felt, rightly so, that his sins were worse because he was responsible for the death, imprisonment, and suffering of Christians whom he persecuted before his life was changed by Jesus. And that's in Acts 8, 3, 9, 1 through 2, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Galatians 1, 13, Philippians 3, 6. That's David Guzek's quote. The next, one, the next two actually are Spurgeon. In Acts 26.11, Paul explained to Agrippa that what might have been his worst sin. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He compelled others to blaspheme the name of Jesus. This indeed was a very horrible part of Paul's sinful, or Saul's sinfulness. To destroy their bodies was bad enough but to destroy their souls, to compel them to blaspheme, to speak evil against the, that name which they confessed to be their joy and their hope. Surely that was the worst form that even persecution could assume. 
He forced them under torture to abjure the Christ whom their hearts loved. As it were, he was not content to kill them, but he also must damn them too. That's Spurgeon. The next one, Spurgeon, as well. Despair's head is cut off and stuck on a pole by the salvation of the chief of sinners. No man can now say that he is too great a sinner to be saved because the chief of sinners was saved 1,800 years ago. If the ringleader, the chief of the gang, has been washed in the precious blood and is now in heaven, why not I, why not you, that Spurgeon? So if the chief of sinners has received redemption and the blood of Jesus Christ, then what are you waiting on? If there's one thing I really, that really gets to me, it's whenever I try to share the gospel with somebody. And they say, well, I just got a few things I got to get figured out in my life first. You know, I'm going to come to, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to church, and I'm going to commit my life to Jesus. I just got to figure out a few things. You know why that makes me so mad? Because you ought to know that there's no change in this world without Christ. Paul would not have been changed if it wasn't for Jesus. Paul would have still been Saul persecuting Christians. Saul was not changed to Paul until after an encounter with Christ. You can't change yourself, but Christ can change you. You can't change yourself. You can't take away any sin in your life. You can't do the works to gain salvation. You can't do anything in your life to gain your way to heaven or change your life. But you know who can? God can. And so it makes me so mad because I want to bring them hope and I want to bring them eternity. And they say, well, I just got a few things I got to figure out. And it makes me so mad because I just want to say you're wrong and you don't get it. The only hope we have is in Jesus. The only thing that we have in this world is Jesus. The only thing we've got is Jesus. And I think some of you guys know what I'm talking about. If we continue to play with eternity, you will lose. So decide today who you're going to follow. You see, if you want to think about eternity as a game, those people that say, I've just got a few things to figure out, they play with eternity like it's a game. And they say, oh, well, I'm going to play around. I'm going to get my life straightened out eventually. But no, you've got to do it right now because it's not a game. Eternity is not a game. And you're going to be on one or two sides of this, if you want to call it a game. You're going to be on a losing side or a winning side. Which side are you going to be on? Because if you don't make a decision or you want to wait, then you've made a decision to join the losing side. If you wait on eternity and accepting Jesus Christ, then you've chosen the losing side. But if you choose Jesus in your life today, then you've chosen the winning side. If you're a born-again believer today, then you've chose the winning side. I'd encourage you to choose who you're going to follow today and don't leave this building until you have that figured out in your life. I've got to speed up. Paul's an example of God saving grace to others. When others see themselves and wonder if they're too bad to follow Jesus, they can look to Paul and know that they too can be saved by believing in Christ. Let's see how fast we can do this. The next slide is Jesus came to save sinners like me. All right? Like me. You need to know that you're a sinner. If you wrote that down and you kind of, eh, you know, then you, you know, just know you're a sinner. All right, let's keep going. Verse 17. Paul speaking about his conversion, about God's love and mercy 
couldn't help but start praising God for who God is. King Eternal. Paul knew that there was one king over it all forever. Jesus. Immortal. Paul knew that God is everlasting. He is before and after time and history. Invisible. Paul knew that God was beyond our understanding and that God is beyond our comprehension. Paul knew God's great wisdom, knew of God's great wisdom, and that he alone is wise and we are not. And lastly, Paul knew that God was deserving of all the praise forever. This quote right here is from David Guzik. If we have trouble praising God, then we don't know him very well. So your next slide is to truly praise God, then we must truly know God. I'd encourage you to truly know God. And I'm not talking about lifting up your hands and, and worship, but I'm talking about laying down your life for Jesus. That every day when you walk through your, your daily life, you're looking for opportunities to show people Jesus because you know who He is. I'm talking about opening up your Bible daily. And who's the first person you're going to talk to when you wake up? Is it going to be Jesus? Because it should be. You ought to truly know Jesus in your life. And you can't truly praise Jesus in a worship service or out in a field somewhere or driving in your truck on your way to work. You can't truly praise Him unless you truly know Him. And if you really want to praise Him, then get to know Him because He's waiting on you. He can't wait to get to know you. He can't wait for you to get to know Him. Paul knew that God was worthy of all the praise. And after talking about who he was, he couldn't help but just come to a point of praising God for his great mercy. This is another reason Paul gave to Timothy to stay in Ephesus, that God and all his glory were worth the sacrifice of staying where he wants to leave because God has called him there for now. All right, we're, we're, we're wearing down. Let's do this thing. All right, 18 and 20. Let's do it. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So this charge that Paul gives is a military term coming from like a commanding officer. So when, Tim, or when Paul charges Timothy here, he doesn't really give Timothy an option. Okay? It's, there's, it's not an option. Paul wanted Timothy to remember that the God he served, or the God that he served, and how he had spoken to Timothy in a prophetic way, probably by others around him, and that Timothy might have encouragement from them to stay in Ephesus. The focus is not on the prophecies, though. It is on the war. And from Timothy's, or in front of Timothy, Timothy is going to battle against the false teachers and the devil and the schemes to hinder the growth of Christianity. And Paul reminds Timothy that he must remember how important his job is in Ephesus and how he must approach his job as important. Timothy had a huge responsibility in Ephesus. And Paul knows this. But he also knows that it's going to be a war and that Timothy must remember he has to, and this is the next slide, we must fight for the faith. And the slide right after that is we must use the tools for good warfare, faith and a good conscience. 
did you know you're going to war every day? Well, if you didn't, you do now. And if you've been showing up on Wednesday, you know that there's a spiritual warfare going on. I'd encourage you to prepare yourself for the spiritual battle that's happening daily in our lives. Because the devil is going to do everything he can to hinder you. And if you're not focused on Christ, then you're going to miss it. Understand, we're in a battle. The war's won, but we're in a battle. Paul tells Timothy, the tools for good warfare are faith and a good conscience. These are essential when battling for the Lord. They protect against the devil and the doubt that comes when we are in war. Paul tells Timothy that some have made shipwreck of their faith and that they have not held to these things. But Timothy must hold fast where they have rejected the tools for good warfare and in turn have made shipwrecks of their faith. He should hold on to these things so that he will not become like Hymenaeus and Alexander. Verse 20, where we get Hymenaeus and Alexander, we know nothing of these two apart from this verse. But what we do know is that these are false teachers, and Paul had disciplined them for their heresy. But then Paul adds, Whom I delivered over to Satan. And that's crazy. That's not very Christian-like. What does that mean? You know? What, is, what does that mean? It blew me away. You know, I was like, what, what, what's going on here? Hand it over to Satan. That's terrible. Why would he do that? Paul's mean. Um, but what it means is that Paul took them outside of the church. And if you were here a few weeks ago, then Pastor Gary had spoke about the pastor's role and how he protects the church. And how he has to... And so what Paul is saying here, when he hands them over to Satan, he removes them from the church so that they may not hinder other believers. They're removed from the church and put into the world, Satan's domain, so that they won't hinder other people. So if you see your pastor today, or if you see Gary, shake his hand and maybe give him a hug because he's keeping you from getting led astray. He's protecting you. Thank him for that today. And thank whoever your pastor is, if you're visiting with us today with the football team, thank your pastor because they're protecting you. So the removal is not an act of evil. Rather, it's an act of protection for other believers. So they will not be led astray. We know we must fight for the faith and we must use the tools for good warfare. The band can come on up because I'm wearing down and I think I'm doing pretty good. You know, I think I, I, I split it up pretty good. Um, but as we're getting ready to lead into this um, altar call, um, there's a few things I want to ask you today. So what are you going to do? Paul has told us that no sin is greater than the mercy of Jesus. And that nothing can overpower the redeeming blood of Christ. And so if you're one of those people that say, I'm just nervous that I'm, I'm too much of a sinner, or I've sinned too much in my life, or God couldn't save somebody like me, look at Paul and know that you can be saved by Jesus today. If you're a sinner today and you, you have not repented and accepted Christ, then you need to do that today. Today is your time. This moment is going to be your time. Don't wait on it because tomorrow's not promised. You can get your, your life right now. God can start working on you now. Don't wait. We have no idea what the world has for us once we leave these doors. Except Jesus today. Maybe you know that in your workplace 
you failed at upholding the work of God. Maybe the places that you go are in your school or on your sports teams. You know that God has called you to be obedient and sharing the gospel and being obedient in Bible study. And you failed at all of those things. And you need to come up here and hit your knees at the altar and say, God, I'm sorry that I've been disobedient. And I'm sorry that I've done wrong. But God, I want to be obedient today. If that's you today, then come up here and get it right. Because God's waiting on you with open arms. And maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you had a death in the family. Maybe you've lost all your money or you just don't see a way out of this dark depression that you're in. Come up here and hit your knees at the altar and see the hope that Christ has for you. I'm willing to speak with you throughout the week, but tomorrow's not promised. Come get your life right now. Come to Jesus now. And leave this church in peace and assurance in Christ. Don't wait on it. Join the winning side today. I love you, but my love doesn't compare to Christ's love for you. That He would die on a cross for you. Let's pray and then let's have this time of altar. Father, thank You for Your love. Thank You for just how You're moving. Thank You for for your love for us, Father, and the mercy that you've had on us, Father. Father, I ask for courage among these people here today that if any of them have anything they need to get off their chest or if any of them need to accept your great mercy, Father, that they would do that today. Father, we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.